If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 22 over in the Old Testament. I've titled today's sermon, Planting Trees You'll Never Sit Under. Uh, that title came to my mind as I was praying through and studying this passage. And the reason it came to my mind is because of the impact of a sermon on my life back in the 70s preached by Dr. Gordon Kleinard that he entitled, Planting Trees You'll Never Sit Under. Uh, he was uh, a professor at Hardin-Simmons University and at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And what he shared in that message that I read, I didn't hear it delivered, uh, has remained with me until today. Planting trees you'll never sit under. Last week, Kevin shared the story of the pomegranate tree. Do you remember that story? I have a tree story too that I'm going to share with you today. It's not a pomegranate tree story. It's a yellow poplar tree story. And that story started in 1981 uh, when Ellen and I purchased our very first home. It was in Tennessee. It was a two-thirds of an acre lot, and it had two scrawny little trees planted in front of the house, and the backyard was gigantic without a tree. And I said, we've got to have trees. Well, I couldn't afford to pay somebody to plant them, and I couldn't afford to go to a nursery to buy some and plant them myself. So we drove 120 miles to my parents' house and went into their woods that they owned, and we drug, dug up some yellow poplar trees, hauled them back to our house, planted them, and lo and behold, they took, they grew. And uh, we enjoyed seeing them grow for the short time that we lived there after that. Uh, in just um, 1985, we sold that house uh, to move here to Georgetown, and those trees weren't big enough to sit under when we left. Years later, we drove back to that community and we drove by that house and we could not believe what we saw. Those little tiny saplings that we, saplings that we had planted had grown into large, very large trees that you could sit under and enjoy. In fact, I wanted to jump the fence and sit under those trees because I had planted those trees. I wanted to sit there and enjoy the cool breeze and drink an RC Cola and eat a moon pie and just think, man, it doesn't get any better than this, sitting under a tree that I had planted. But I couldn't do that because those trees no longer belong to me. But did I regret planting those trees? Not for a second. I was so glad that I had planted those trees and that the people who lived in that house were enjoying them and the neighbors were enjoying them when they turned gold and yellow in the fall and that those people who owned that house could eat moon pies under that tree. That just blessed my heart to know that and to think that um, I had had a part in doing that and I'm so grateful for uh, that opportunity to see that. I planted trees I never sat under, but I'm glad I did. And throughout history, God's people have planted trees they never sat under. And we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, who have obeyed the Lord, 
who have taken steps of generosity, the next steps that the Lord is giving them, investing their time, talent, treasure, and testimony, and doing that without ever seeing the results of their efforts. King David was one of those people. He planted, a tree, he planted trees he never sat under when he prepared for the construction of the temple, and we read about that in 1 Chronicles 22. I'm going to start with verse 2. And I'm going to read the rest of the passage, the rest of the chapter. So David gave orders to gather the resident aliens that were in the land of Israel, and he appointed stone cutters to cut finished stones for building God's house. David supplied a great deal of iron to make the nails for the doors of the gates and for fittings, together with an immeasurable quantity of bronze and innumerable cedar logs because the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought a large quanti quantity of cedar logs to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is be to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly great and famous and glorious in all the lands. Therefore, I will make provision for it. So David made lavish, generous preparations for it before his death. Then he summoned his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. My son David said to Solomon, it was in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me, you have shed much blood and waged great wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed so much blood on the ground before me. But a son will be born to you. He will be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name will be Solomon and I will give him peace and quiet. I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build my house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he said about you. Above all, may the Lord give you insight and understanding when he puts you in charge of Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will succeed if you carefully follow the statutes and ordinances the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. David's desire, he said, was to build a house for the Lord but the Lord had a different plan. He chose David's son Solomon to build the house, but David nonetheless generously gave for the temple to be built, a temple that he would never see. Notice there's more detail starting in verse 14 about David's generosity. Notice I've taken great pains to provide for the house of the Lord. 3,775 tons of gold, 37,750 tons of silver and bronze and iron that can't be weighed because there's so much of it. I've also provided timber and stone, but you will need to add more to them. You also have many workers, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and people skilled in every kind of work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron beyond number. Now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. 
Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. The Lord your God is with you, isn't he? And hasn't he given you rest on every side? For he has handed the land's inhabitants over to me, and the land has been subdued before the Lord God of Israel. Now determine in your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Get started building God's, building the Lord God's sanctuary so that you may bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy articles of God to the temple that is to be built for the name of the Lord. David generously invested in a temple he never saw. And as a result, generations of Israelites were blessed by his action. David took his next step of generosity. He invested the lesser graces, those graces of time, talent, treasure, and testimony. And greater grace resulted in the life of the nation of Israel as they were reminded by that temple of the glory and majesty of the Lord. And as they were reminded of their own sin and the need for forgiveness through the shedding of blood, and as the sacrifices that took place in that building pointed them ahead to the time when a Messiah would come and make the ultimate sacrifice for their sins. Our next steps of generosity... Our next steps of generosity today as a church will bless generations of Williamson County for years to come in ways we'll never know. Past generations of our church have been faithful to take the next step of generosity to plant trees they never sat under. And their generosity has blessed us in our church in ways that they never know, and in ways that we cannot really fully appreciate or imagine. Because they were faithful with the lesser graces, we are uniquely and strategically positioned today as a church to be a ready bride that blesses Williamson County and beyond and brings others with us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It all started on October 30th, 1866, a year after the Civil War ended when 13 people joined together to form the very first Baptist church in Georgetown. Those 13 people planted trees they never sat under. Among those 13 original tree planters were the Patricks, Mr. and Mrs. Woodson Patrick. They and the other members of the church met in the Union Building at the corner of 7th and Myrtle, that building was used as a school during the week and was used by multiple churches on the weekend. The population of Georgetown at the time was about 400 people and Williamson County was about 4,500 people, the entire county. Also among those original members was Mrs. M.Z. Taylor, Maggie Taylor, she was known, she was the first president of the Ladies' Aid Society, which was formed in 1879 in our church, just 13 years after the church started. And one of our church histories records they had little money, speaking of the Ladies' Aid Society, they had little money, but they achieved a great deal. This organization sent money to foreign missions, aided in schooling young men for the foreign fields, as well as sending Mr. Buckner money for the orphanage. 
Two years later, the young men's prayer meeting was organized. Like the church and the Ladies' Aid Society, their aim was, according to our church historians, their aim was to reach the unsaved, help the needy, and nurse the sick. And in parentheses, it says, professional nurses were unheard of at this time. So from our earliest days, FBG has been focused on putting our faith into action by sharing the gospel, by serving the community, and we benefit from that heritage today. M.Z. Taylor was Maggie Taylor's husband. He was, if not a charter member, at least an early member of the church, and one church historian wrote, he taught a young men's Sunday school class and never failed to support his church. He was also very, very active uh, in the community, was the first chief of the volunteer fire department and built the first public water, si or water system for Georgetown, which was later bought by the city. In fact, in 2014, the director of the Williamson County Museum reflected on N.Z. Taylor's life and said, Taylor made Georgetown into the community that it is today, and no doubt, he also helped FBG become the church that it is today. Maggie and M.Z. Taylor were faithful with the lesser graces, generously investing their time, talent, treasure to bless our church and bless this city. George Washington Glasscock Jr. was an active member of our church. He was the second Sunday school superintendent and he served in that capacity for years. The city of Georgetown was named after his father, George Washington Glasscock Sr., who donated the land on which the city was built. George Jr. was county attorney, county judge, and three-term Texas senator, but he invested his life in serving Christ through his occupation and through our church. Our first building was erected in the 1880s at 6th and Church Street, this, the land for this building was donated by Glasscock, Elizabeth Jane Glasscock Talbot, who was the sister of George Washington Glasscock, Jr. The Glasscock family were faithful with the lesser graces, and we are blessed because they were. In 1879, a well-known evangelist, Major Penn, held a camp meeting at the fairgrounds near Five Springs. Today, we know that as San Gabriel Park. During that meeting, 500 residents of Georgetown and surrounding communities received Christ as their Savior and Lord, and 75 of them were baptized in the San Gabriel River to become members of First Baptist Church, Georgetown. It's not surprising that right after that, the church built its very first building. Then in 1926, we built a new building at 10th and Main. Georgetown had grown from about 400 residents in 1866 to 3,200 in 1926. The county had grown in the same period from 5,400 to 47,000. And we then another Glasscock comes on the scene, Helen Boatner Glasscock, the wife of George Washington Glasscock, Jr., who donated the land for this building, and church historians wrote, also made additional substantial gifts toward the building. 
She taught a children's Sunday school class, and when one of her students was asked by her grandfather uh, what Mrs. Glasscock taught them in the class, that little girl said, come to Sunday school and bring your nickel. So Mrs. Glasscock not only was generous in taking her next steps of faithfulness to the Lord, but she taught the younger generation to do the same. At the groundbreaking for this location at 10th and Main, the oldest member of the church, age 92, and the youngest member of the church at age 9, together drove in the first stake to mark the location of the building. Mrs. Glasscock and the second youngest member of the church moved the first shovel of dirt, and the first child to pay her building pledge in full had the distinct privilege of putting her hand on the plow that was pulled by mules to turn the first uh, furrow of dirt on the location of the building. During the 1950s, the Red Cross conducted classes in the basement of the church as a part of the defense program. And during one period of time when Annie Pearl School was overcrowded, the children walked down the street to the church and classes were held in the church basement. The school at the time, Annie Pearl School, the original Annie Pearl School, was located where Dos Salsas is today. In 1975, the church took a next step of generosity by becoming the first church in Texas to sponsor a Vietnamese refugee family. We provided food, clothing, a church-owned home, and helped them find jobs. When Ellen and I arrived in Georgetown in 1985, we found a city that was going through an identity crisis. Georgetown was growing rapidly. It grew by 23% in the 1960s, 48% in the 1970s, 57% in the 1980s. Williamson County was growing at an even faster rate than that, and Georgetown was, was changing, and people were worried about those changes. Those fast-paced city folks were taking over the town. The locals had bumper stickers. I'm not kidding you. When we moved here, the, one of the first things we saw were bumper stickers that said, if you're in a hurry, what are you doing in Georgetown? <laughs> HEB was on university at the time where the family dollar store is now located. And that HEB had a leaky roof, and when we pushed our golf, uh, golf carts, our uh, grocery carts through there, when it was raining, we had to steer around garbage cans and buckets that were catching the water. And then it was announced that a new HEB was going to be built, the one that's at I-35 in university, and the town went wild. But we were so excited that there was actually a parade from the old HEB to the new HEB, <laughs> and at the front of the parade was the Georgetown High School Marching Band. It was a red-letter day in Georgetown. We were a, a small town in with an identity crisis trying to figure out what we wanted to do. On our first Sunday in Georgetown, Ellen and I and our two boys attended First Baptist Church, and we soon became members of the church. Once we got involved, we found a church going through an identity crisis as well. 
It had been a traditional small First Baptist church in a sleepy county seat town. It was struggling hard to transition into a church that could reach a growing population in what had become a bustling sub-suburban area of Austin. So, trying to respond to that growth, in the spring of 73, the church elected a long-range planning committee to study what to do. The church was landlocked with no room to expand, surrounded by businesses and historic homes. So one step that was taken was to purchase the Eanes building. It was purchased in 1974 to provide additional space for classes. It was located behind the main building just to the east at 10th and Church. In fact, my wife and I taught a second grade Sunday school class on the second floor of that building uh, soon after we arrived in the church. And it, uh, the Blake Hotel was purchased in 1977, located on Main Street just across from the main building. And the church members themselves renovated the, bil the building with their own hard work, investing uh, their, the lesser graces of time, talent, and treasure. In addition to the main building, was built in 1977 with space for children, preschool, classes, offices, and a music or choir room. In 1978, the church voted to go to two Sunday morning worship services to handle the crowds that were coming. In 1981, at the recommendation of another long-range planning committee, the church voted to start a satellite campus, a second campus. No immediate action was taken, so there was another long-range planning committee in 83, and their recommendation was not to start a satellite campus, but to relocate the church. So that all came to a vote in 1984 in March, and a vote to relocate fell by 4%. To pass, there had to be 75% of those voting to vote affirmatively. Only 71% voted to move. So the struggle within the church continued over what kind of a church are we going to be and how are we going to respond to the growth of our community. In April of that year, one month later after that vote failed, the church voted to purchase land for a satellite campus. So we went from satellite to relocation back to satellite. Meanwhile, in May of 84, we purchased two portable buildings for additional Sunday school space that were placed beside the main church building. And in 1985, we became the sponsoring church for a new church start in a growing area of Round Rock. It was now Fellowship Church. It is now today Fellowship Church on Gaddis School Road in Round Rock, and they have a campus in Hutto. Finally, in April of 85, the church voted to purchase 12.5 acres of land here at this location for 40, the unheard of sum of $40,000 an acre. A temporary sign was immediately erected on the land. You can see it. The sign said, come grow with us. Future extension side of First Baptist Church, Georgetown, Texas, 8692586. No web address listed. You know why? Yeah. It was 1985, that's why. I know all the people in that photo standing around that sign. Of all those people 
only one is still a member of our church. And she is in bad health and able uh, and is homebound and unable to be active. Every one of those people worked very hard under very tense conditions in the life of our church to continue to remain committed to a vision that God wanted to use First Baptist Church to respond and share the God, to minister to and share the gospel with a growing community. And they persisted in that despite the opposition they faced. We owe these people and others who are not in the, in the picture who, who led with them, we owe them a great debt of gratitude because much fruit has been born from the work that they did. They planted trees they never sat under. And because of them, we are strategically positioned for the future growth of, growth of Williamson County. So we have the land in February of 86, uh, January of 86, we voted to build on this land. In February, ground was broken. In 1987, a prayer seminar was conducted in the church, was widely uh, the church was, uh, a, lot, a large part of the church was involved in that. And as a result of that seminar, we began a prayer ministry where church members took the next steps of generously committing time to pray for our church and community. And that prayer ministry is still active today and I believe is one of the reasons God has worked to use this church and bless this church as he has. In April of 87, the first facility was completed at this location and services began here. This is how it looked at the time. You're seeing what we now call the gym and the E1 building. We had worship services in the gym. Those who weren't excited about the move to this location called this building the Big Red Barn. And that was not an affectionate term by them. They said, I can't believe First Baptist Church would be $40,000 an acre for land so far out in the middle of nowhere that it will never amount to anything and then put a big red barn on it. By comparison, the two acres that we're considering now for purchase is $600,000 an acre. The first permanent sign on the property said, First Baptist Church West. Why did it say that? because we were one church at two locations, First Baptist Downtown, First Baptist West. The worship service was conducted here early, followed by Sunday school. The pastor, after leading the worship service, left and drove to the downtown campus where Sunday school happened first and worship service was last, and we were able to flip-flop like that. And the church um, continued to function that way, until August of 1989 when First Baptist voted to relocate to this location and a group of members formed Main Street Baptist Church and bought the downtown location from First Baptist Church. Coincidentally, I learned earlier that they are celebrating this morning Main Street Baptist Church their 30th anniversary as a church. And God worked within the tension and the controversy of a church struggling to birth another church that has grown and is our sister church 
and is sharing the gospel. There's a photo now of our current campus. For the next 30 years, after relocating here, the church family continued to take steps of generosity, next steps of generosity. There was sacrifice, hard work, and perseverance that has brought us to where we are today. In 92, the church purchased nine more acres from the Church of Christ next door for $100,000, a bargain price, compared to what we paid for the first. In 1994, the E2 building, the atrium, and the office buildings were constructed. In 2001, this building was constructed. It was a red-letter day, and the place was packed for two services. And in the middle of the second service, we began to see smoke right up there at the cupola. And the fire alarm went off, and lights were flashing, and we had to obey. It was packed in here. Everybody came out of the woodwork. We had to leave the building, evacuate, and the fire truck showed up with their sirens going and the lights flashing, and that's how we celebrated the dedication of this building. <laughs> Lord has a way of keeping us humble, doesn't he? I love it. Yeah. In 2007, the E3 building was built on the far west side of the campus. And in 2014, we purchased an additional 10 acres bordering the new extension of Wolf Ranch Parkway. In January of 17, we started a second campus, FBG Liberty Hill. And now we are a two-campus church again. Why am I going over all this? Well, you probably are wondering. Maybe you are. I'm hoping that this reminds us that we are positioned today to impact Georgetown and Williamson County and beyond because previous generations of FBG members planted trees they never sat under. They were faithful in taking their next steps of generosity and investing in the Lord's work through the church. It's also to remind us that we must continue to do what they did. It is our right here, right now moment in the history of what God is doing in this city, in this county, and the life of the church. And it's our opportunity to rise to the occasion to continue to be found faithful with the lesser graces so God can bless with the greater grace of making us a ready bride for Christ, blessing this county with the preaching of the gospel and ministry to individual needs, and bringing along with us to the marriage supper of the Lamb a host of people who embrace Christ as Lord and Savior because they have, because of the ministry of the gospel through this church. Georgetown is continuing to grow rapidly. Currently, we have about 75,000 residents in the city. We're consistently ranked near the top of the list of fastest-growing cities in the nation in our category. This campus, which was once considered to be in the middle of nowhere, is now in the middle of the largest master plan community in Central Texas the Wolf Ranch development. When completed, 
It will have, well, it now consists of 1,120 acres, and when completed, there will be 2,600 single-family homes plus several multifamily complexes. It is incumbent upon us as a church that all of us together must take our next steps of generosity and not shrink back from doing it. We will be faithful today. Will we be faithful today as past generations have been faithful? Are we ready to take our next step and remain committed to taking our next step of generosity? Trust in the Lord is required to take that next step. David, in the passage we read, took his next step of generosity because he trusted God and believed God's promises. God said, I'm going to raise up for you a son and your son's going to build that temple that's in your heart to build and David took God his word and trusted God and generously provided for the temple because he knew that God would fulfill his promises when God calls us to take a next step of generosity we have to trust we have to trust him and his leadership and trust that he will provide what we need as we generously invest in his work. Matthew 6, says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, that is, everything you need, uh, will be added to you. It, it requires trusting in the Lord because taking a step of generosity can be difficult, can be challenging, there can be hardships and opposition. You may have already filled out a commitment card and handed it in. That's the first step. The next step is to continue to follow through on what the Lord put in your heart to do and to trust Him to help us fulfill it. Right motives are required for the next step of generosity. You notice David's motive was to build a temple that would be glorious and be renowned and would bring glory to God. And we, our motive for next step of generosity must be to, the desire to bring glory to God alone, not glory to ourselves. And then heart change is required for next steps of generosity. I love what took place in David's heart and that's recorded in this passage for us. He took the next step of generosity because God changed his heart. He said, it was in my heart to build a house for the Lord, but he found out that God had a different plan than he had. And David accepted God's plan. He gave up his plan. He let go of his plans and goals, and he embraced God's plan. He sacrificed to do that. He could have refused and launched out on his own to do what he wanted to do, but David did what was best not for himself, but for the Lord and future generations in his nation. We have to do the same. Taking the next step of generosity requires heart change that frees us to let go of what we want to hold on to and to allow it to be put into God's hands to be used by him. In verse 19 of the chapter, David spoke to all the leaders of Israel and challenged them to help his son build the temple. And he said to them, Now determine in your heart and mind to seek the Lord. 
Now determine in your heart and mind to seek the Lord. It raises the question for you and me, are we seeking the Lord with regard to our next step of generosity? Our next steps of generosity will bless future generations of Williamson County in ways we will never know. And maybe someday, 30 or 40 or 50 years from now, there will be a sermon preached that points to this right here, right now moment. And the church at that time will be grateful that we took our next steps of generosity.